4, which, of course, means that the fourth power of 5625 is to be multiplied by the cube of 28, the product of which is 5.000, but he printed 54x to 3 as 54 to 3, which is not correct. Can you place four digits in the manner shown, so that it will be equally correct if the printer sets it up right or makes the same blunder? 116. The converted miser. Mr. Jasper Bullion was one of the very few misers who had ever been converted to a sense of their duty towards their less fortunate fellow men. One eventful night he counted out his accumulated wealth, and resolved to distribute it amongst the deserving poor. He found that if he gave away the same number of pounds every day in the year, he could exactly spread it over a twelvemonth without there being anything left over, but if he rested on the Sundays, and only gave away a fixed number of pounds every weekday, there would be one sovereign left over on New Year's Eve. Now, putting it at the lowest possible, what was the exact number of pounds that he had to distribute? Could any question be simpler? A sum of pounds divided by one number of days leaves no remainder, but divided by another number of days leaves a sovereign over. That is all, and yet, when you come to tackle this little question, you will be surprised that it can become so puzzling. 117. Offense Problem the practical fullness of puzzles is a point that we are liable to overlook. Yet, as a matter of fact, I have from time to time received quite a large number of letters from individuals who have found that the mastering of some little principle upon which a puzzle was built has proved of considerable value to them in a the most unexpected way. Indeed, it may be accepted as a good maxim that a puzzle is of little real value unless, as well as being amusing and perplexing, it conceals some instructive and possibly full feature. It island however, very curious how these little bits of acquired knowledge dovetail into the occasional requirements of everyday life, and equally curious to a lot strange and mysterious uses some of our readers seem to apply them. What, for example, can be the object of Mr. W.M. Oxley, who writes to me all the way from Iowa, in wishing to ascertain the dimensions of a field that he proposes to enclose, containing just as many acres as there shall be rails in the fence? The man wishes to fence in a perfectly square field which is to contain just as many acres as there are rails in the required fence. Each hurdle, or portion of fence, is seven rails high, and two lengths would extend one pole 161 two feet, that is to say, there are 14 rails to the pole. Lineal measure. Now, what must be the size of the field? 118. Circling the squares. The puzzle is to place a different number in each of the ten squares so that the sum of the squares of any two adjacent numbers shall be equal to the sum of the squares of the two numbers diametrically opposite to them. The four numbers placed, as examples, must stand as they are. The square of 16 is 256, and the square of 2 is 4. Add these together, and the result is 260. Also the square of 14 is 196, and the square of 8 is 64. These together also make 260. Now, in precisely the same way, B and C should be equal to G and H. The sum will not necessarily be 260. And K to F and E H and I to C and D and so on. With any two adjoining squares in the circle, all you have to do is to fill in the remaining six numbers. Fractions are not allowed. And I shall show that no number need contain more than two figures. 119. R.A.C.K.B.R.A.N.E.'s little loss. Professor Rackbrain was spending an evening with his old friends, Mr. and Mrs. Potts, and they engaged in some game he does not say what game of cards. The professor lost the first game, 
which resulted in doubling the money that both Mr. and Mrs. Potts had laid on the table. The second game was lost by Mrs. Potts, which doubled the money then held by her husband and the professor. Curiously enough, the third game was lost by Mr. Potts, and had the effect of doubling the money then held by his wife and the professor. It was then found that each person had exactly the same money, but the professor had lost five shillings in the course of play. Now, the professor asks, what was the sum of money with which he sat down at the table? Can you tell him? 120. The farmer and his sheep. Farmer Longmore had a curious aptitude for arithmetic, and was known in his district as the mathematical farmer. The new vicar was not aware of this fact when, meeting his worthy parishioner one day in the lane, he asked him in the course of a short conversation, Now, how many sheep have you altogether? He was therefore rather surprised at Longmore's answer, which was as follows, You can divide my sheep into two different parts, so that the difference between the two numbers is the same as the difference between their squares. Maybe, Mr. Parson, you will like to work out the little sum for yourself. Can the reader say just how many sheep the farmer had? Supposing he had possessed only twenty sheep, and he divided them into the two parts twelve and eight. Now, the difference between their squares, 144 and 64, is 80, so that will not do, for 4 and 80 are certainly not the same, if you can find numbers that work out correctly, you will know exactly how many sheep farmer lawnmower owned, 121, heads or tails, crooks, an inveterate gambler, that Goodwood recently said to a friend, I'll bet you half the money in my pocket on the toss of a coin heads I win, tails I lose, the coin was tossed and the money handed over. He repeated the offer again and again, each time betting half the money then in his possession. We are not told how long the game went on, or how many times the coin was tossed, but this we know, that the number of times that Crooks lost was exactly equal to the number of times that he won. Now, did he gain or lose by this little venture? 122. The Seesaw Puzzle. Necessity Island indeed. The Mother of Invention. I was amused the other day in watching a boy who wanted to play seesaw and, in his failure to find another child to share the sport with him, had been driven back upon the ingenious resort of tying a number of bricks to one end of the plank to balance his weight at the other. As a matter of fact, he just balanced against sixteen bricks, when these were fixed to the short end of plank, but if he fixed them to the long end of plank he only needed eleven as balance. Now, what was that boy's weight? If a brick weighs equal to a three-quarter brick and three-quarters of a pound, 123, a legal difficulty, a client of mine, said a lawyer, was on the point of death when his wife was about to present him with a child, I drew up his will, in which he settled two-thirds of his estate upon his son if it should happen to be a boy and one-third on the mother, but if the child should be a girl, then two-thirds of the estate should go to the mother and one-third to the daughter, as a matter of fact. After his death twins were born a boy and a girl. A very nice point then arose. How was the estate to be equitably divided among the three in the closest possible accordance with the spirit of the dead man's will? 124. A question of definition. My property is exactly a mile square, said one landowner to another. Curiously enough, mine is a square mile, was the reply. Then there is no difference. Is this last statement correct? 125. The miners' holiday. Seven coal miners took a holiday at the seaside during a big strike. Six of the party spent exactly half a sovereign each. But Bill Harry's was more extravagant. Bill spent three shillings more than the average of the party. 
What was the actual amount of bills expenditure? 126. Simple multiplication. If we number 6 cards 1, 2, 4, 5, 7, and 8, and arrange them on the table in this order, 142857 we can demonstrate that in order to multiply by 3 all that is necessary is to remove the 1 to the other end of the row. And the thing is done. The answer is 428,571. Can you find a number that, when multiplied by 3 and divided by 2, the answer will be the same as if we remove the first card which in this case is to be a 3 from the beginning of the row to the end? 127. Simple division. Sometimes a very simple question in elementary arithmetic will cause a good deal of perplexity. For example, I want to divide the four numbers. 701, 1.059, 1.417, and 2.312, by the largest number possible that will leave the same remainder in every case. How am I to set to a work of course? By a laborious system of trial one can in time discover the answer. But there is quite a simple method of doing it if you can only find it. 128. A problem in squares. We possess three square boards. The surface of the first contains five square feet more than the second, and the second contains five square feet more than the third. Can you give exact measurements for the sides of the boards? If you can solve this little puzzle, then try to find three squares in arithmetical progression, with a common difference of seven and also of fourteen. 129. The Battle of Hastings. All historians know that there is a great deal of mystery and uncertainty concerning the details of the ever-memorable battle on that fatal day, October 14, 1066. My puzzle deals with a curious passage in an ancient monkish chronicle that may never receive the attention that it deserves, and if I am unable to vouch for the authenticity of the document it will nonetheless serve to furnish us with a problem that can hardly fail to interest those of my readers who have arithmetical predilections. Here is the passage in question. The men of Harold stood well together, as their want was, and formed sixty and one squares, with a like number of men in every square thereof, and woe to the hardy Norman who ventured to enter their redoubts, for a single blow of a Saxon war hatchet would break his lance and cut through his coat of mail. When Harold threw himself into the fray the Saxons were one mighty square of men, shouting the battle cries, UT, all across, God am I, now. I find that all the contemporary authorities agree that the Saxons did actually fight in the solid order. For example, in the Carmen de Bellavest and Chancy, a poem attributed to Guy, Bishop of Amiens, living at the time of the battle, we are told that the Saxons stood fixed in a dense mass, and Henry of Huntingdon records that they were like unto a castle, impenetrable to the Normans, while Robert Wace, a century after, tells us the same thing. So in this respect my newly discovered chronicle may not be greatly in error, but I have reason to believe that there is something wrong with the actual figures. Let the reader see what he can make of them. The number of men would be 61 times a square number, but when Harold himself joined in the fray they were then able to form one large square. What is the smallest possible number of men there could have been? In order to make clear to the reader the simplicity of the question, I will give the lowest solutions in the case of 60 and 62. The numbers immediately preceding and following 61, they are 60x4 squared 131 squared, and 62x8 squared 163 squared. That island 60 squares of 16 men each would be 960 men, and when Harold joined them they would be 961 in number, and so form a square with 31 men on every side. 
Similarly in the case of the figures I have given for 62. Now, find the lowest answer for 61. 130. The Sculptor's Problem. An ancient sculptor was commissioned to supply two statues, each on a cubical pedestal. It is with these pedestals that we are concerned. They were of unequal sizes, as will be seen in the illustration. And when the time arrived for payment a dispute arose as to whether the agreement was based on lineal or cubical measurement. But as soon as they came to measure the two pedestals the matter was at once settled. Because, curiously enough, the number of lineal feet was exactly the same as the number of cubical feet. The puzzle is to find the dimensions for two pedestals having this peculiarity. In the smallest possible figures, you see, if the two pedestals, for example, measure respectively three feet and one foot on every side, then the lineal measurement would be four feet and the cubical contents twenty-eight feet which are not the same. So these measurements will not do. 131. The Spanish Miser. There once lived in a small town in New Castile a noted miser named Don Manuel Rodriguez. His love of money was only equaled by a strong passion for arithmetical problems. These puzzles usually dealt in some way or other with his accumulated treasure, and were propounded by him solely in order that he might have the pleasure of solving them himself. Unfortunately very few of them have survived, and when traveling through Spain, collecting material for a proposed work on the Spanish onion as a cause of national decadence, I only discovered a very few. One of these concerns the three boxes that appear in the accompanying authentic portrait. Each box contained a different number of golden doubloons. The difference between the number of doubloons in the upper box and the number in the middle box was the same as the difference between the number in the middle box and the number in the bottom box. And if the contents of any two of the boxes were united they would form a square number. What is the smallest number of doubloons that there could have been in any one of the boxes? 132. The Nine Treasure Boxes. The following puzzle will illustrate the importance on occasions of being able to fix the minimum and maximum limits of a required number. This can very frequently be done. For example, it has not yet been ascertained in how many different ways the knight's tour can be performed on the chess board, but we know that it is fewer than the number of combinations of 168 things taken 63 at a time and is greater than area code 31054144 for the latter is the number of roots of a particular type. Or, to take a more familiar case, if you ask a man how many coins he has in his pocket, he may tell you that he has not the slightest idea, but on further questioning you will get out of him some such statement as the following, yes, I am positive that I have more than three coins, and equally certain that there are not so many as twenty-five. Now, the knowledge that a certain number lies between two and twelve in my puzzle will enable the solver to find the exact answer. Without that information there would be an infinite number of answers, from which it would be impossible to select the correct one. This is another puzzle received from my friend Don Manuel Rodriguez, the cranky miser of New Castile. On New Year's Eve in 1879 he showed me nine treasure boxes, and after informing me that every box contained a square number of golden doubloons, and that the difference between the contents of A and B was the same as between B and C, D and E and F, G and H or H and I. He requested me to tell him the number of coins in every one of the boxes. At first I thought this was impossible, as there would be an infinite number of different answers. But on consideration I found that this was not the case. I discovered that while every box contained coins, the contents of A, B, C increased in weight in alphabetical order, so did D, E, F, and so did G, H, I but D or E need not be heavier than C nor G or H heavier than F. 
it was also perfectly certain that Boxa could not contain more than a dozen coins at the outside, there might not be half that number, but I was positive that there were not more than twelve, with this knowledge I was able to arrive at the correct answer, in short, we have to discover nine square numbers such that ABC, and DEF, and GHI are three groups in arithmetical progression, the common difference being the same in each group, and a being less than twelve, how many doubloons were there in every one of the nine boxes, 133, the five brigands, the five Spanish brigands, Alfonso, Benito, Carlos, Diego, and Esteban, were counting their spoils after a raid, when it was found that they had captured altogether exactly 200 doubloons, one of the band pointed out that if Alfonso had 12 times as much, Benito three times as much, Carlos the same amount, Diego half as much, and Esteban one third as much, they would still have altogether just 200 doubloons, how many doubloons had each? There are a good many equally correct answers to this question. Here is one of them, a 6x1272b12x336c17x117d120x12060e45x13 area code 152000. The puzzle is to discover exactly how many different answers there are. It being understood that every man had something and that there is to be no fractional money only doubloons in every case. This problem, worded somewhat differently was propounded by Tartaglia died 1559, and he flattered himself that he had found one solution, but a French mathematician of note M. A. Le Bazin, in a recent work, says that his readers will be astonished when he assures them that there are 6.639 different correct answers to the question, is this so? How many answers are there? 134. The Banker's Puzzle. A banker had a sporting customer who was always anxious to wager on anything hoping to cure him of his bad habit. He proposed as a wager that the customer would not be able to divide up the contents of a box containing only sixpences into an exact number of equal piles of sixpences. The banker was first to put in one or more sixpences as many as he liked, then the customer was to put in one or more but in his case not more than a pound in value, neither knowing what the other put in lastly. The customer was to transfer from the banker's counter to the box as many sixpences as the banker desired him to put in. The puzzle is to find how many sixpences the banker should first put in and how many he should ask the customer to transfer, so that he may have the best chance of winning. 135. The Stonemason's Problem. A stonemason once had a large number of cubic blocks of stone in his yard, all of exactly the same size. He had some very fanciful little ways, and one of his queer notions was to keep these blocks piled in cubical heaps, no two heaps containing the same number of blocks. He had discovered for himself the fact that is well known to mathematicians that if he took all the blocks contained in any number of heaps in regular order, beginning with the single cube, he could always arrange those on the ground so as to form a perfect square. This will be clear to the reader, because one block is a square, 189 is a square, 182736 is a square, 182764100 is a square, and so on. In fact, the sum of any number of consecutive cubes, beginning always with one, is in every case a square number. One day a gentleman entered the mason's yard and offered him a certain price if he would supply him with a consecutive number of these cubical heaps which should contain altogether a number of blocks that could be laid out to form a square. But the buyer insisted on more than three heaps and declined to take the single block because it contained a flaw. What was the smallest possible number of blocks of stone that the mason had to supply? 136. The Sultan's Army. 
a certain sultan wished to send into battle an army that could be formed into two perfect squares in twelve different ways. What is the smallest number of men of which that army could be composed? To make it clear to the novice, I will explain that if there were 130 men, they could be formed into two squares in only two different ways 81 and 49, or 121 and 9. Of course, all the men must be used on every occasion. 137. A study in thrift. Certain numbers are called triangular, because if they are taken to represent counters or coins they may be laid out on the table so as to form triangles. The number 1 is always regarded as triangular, just as 1 is a square and a cube number. Place one counter on the table that island the first triangular number. Now place two more counters beneath it, and you have a triangle of three counters, therefore three is triangular. Next place a row of three more counters, and you have a triangle of six counters, therefore six is triangular. We see that every row of counters that we add, containing just one more counter than the row above it, makes a larger triangle. Now, half the sum of any number and its square is always a triangular number. Thus half of 2 2 squared 3, half of 3 3 squared 6, half of 4 4 squared 10, half of 5 5 squared 15, and so on. So if we want to form a triangle with 8 counters on each side we shall require half of 8 8 squared, or 36 counters. This is a pretty little property of numbers. Before going further, I will here say that if the reader refers to the stonemason's problem, number 135 he will remember that the sum of any number of consecutive cubes beginning with 1 is always a square, and these form the series 1 squared, 3 squared, 6 squared, 10 squared, etc. It will now be understood when I say that one of the keys to the puzzle was the fact that these are always the squares of triangular numbers that island the squares of 1, 3, 6, 10, 15, 21, 28 etc. Any of which numbers we have seen will form a triangle. Every whole number is either triangular, or the sum of two triangular numbers or the sum of three triangular numbers. That island if we take any number we choose we can always form one, two, or three triangles with them. The number one will obviously, and uniquely, only form one triangle. Some numbers will only form two triangles as two, four, eleven, etc. Some numbers will only form three triangles as 5, 8, 14, etc. Then, again, some numbers will form both 1 and 2 triangles as 6, others both 1 and 3 triangles as 3 and 10, others both 2 and 3 triangles as 7 and 9, while some numbers like 21 will form 1, 2, or 3 triangles, as we desire. Now for a little puzzle in triangular numbers. Sandy McAllister, of Aberdeen practiced strict domestic economy, and was anxious to train his good wife in his own habits of thrift. He told her last New Year's Eve that when she had saved so many sovereigns that she could lay them all out on the table so as to form a perfect square, or a perfect triangle, or two triangles, or three triangles, just as he might choose to ask he would add five pounds to her treasure. Soon she went to her husband with a little bag of L36 in sovereigns and claimed her reward. It will be found that the 36 coins will form a square with side 6, that they will form a single triangle with side 8, that they will form two triangles with sides 5 and 6, and that they will form three triangles with sides 3, 5, and 5. In each of the four cases all the 36 coins are used, as required, and Sandy therefore made his wife the promised present like an honest man. The Scotsman then undertook to extend his promise for five more years. 
so that if next year the increased number of sovereigns that she has saved can be laid out in the same four different ways she will receive a second present, if she succeeds in the following year she will get a third present, and so on until she has her own six presents in all. Now, how many sovereigns must she put together before she can win the sixth present? What you have to do is to find five numbers, the smallest possible, higher than 36, that can be displayed in the four ways to form a square, to form a triangle, to form two triangles, and to form three triangles. The highest of your five numbers will be your answer. 138. The MMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMM
purchase hogs. Each buys as many as he or she gives shillings for one. Each husband pays altogether three guineas more than his wife. Hendrick buys twenty-three more hogs than Catrun, and Ella's eleven more than Gortrun. Now, what was the name of each man's wife? One hundred forty. Find Ada's surname. This puzzle closely resembles the last one. My remarks on the solution of which the reader may like to apply in another case. It was recently submitted to a Sydney evening newspaper that indulges in intellect sharpeners, but was rejected with the remark that it is childish and that they only published problems capable of solution. Five ladies, accompanied by their daughters, bought cloth at the same shop. Each of the ten paid as many farthings per foot as she bought feet, and each mother spent eight s. 51 for D. More than her daughter, Mrs. Robinson spent success. More than Mrs. Evans, who spent about a quarter as much as Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Smith spent most of all. Mrs. Brown bought 21 yards more than Bessie one of the girls. Annie bought 16 yards more than Mary and spent L3. 0 S. 8 D. More than Emily. The Christian name of the other girl was Ada. Now, what was her surname? 141. Saturday Marketing. Here is an amusing little case of marketing which, although it deals with a good many items of money, leads up to a question of a totally different character. Four married couples went into their village on a recent Saturday night to do a little marketing. They had to be very economical, for among them they only possessed 40 shilling coins. The fact island and spent 1s. Mary spent 2s. Jane spent 3s. And Kate spent 4s. The men were rather more extravagant than their wives. For Ned Smith spent as much as his wife. Tom Brown twice as much as his wife. Bill Jones three times as much as his wife. And Jack Robinson four times as much as his wife. On the way home somebody suggested that they should divide what coin they had left equally among them. This was done. And the puzzling question is simply this. What was the surname of each woman? Can you pair off the four couples? G-O-M-E-G-R-I-C-A-L problems. God geometrizes continually. Plato. There is no study, said Augustus de Morgan, which presents so simple a beginning as that of geometry, there is none in which difficulties grow more rapidly as we proceed. This will be found when the reader comes to consider the following puzzles, though they are not arranged in strict order of difficulty, and the fact that they had interested and given pleasure to man for untold ages is no doubt due in some measure to the appeal they make to the eye as well as to the brain. Sometimes an algebraical formula or theorem seems to give pleasure to the mathematician's eye, but it is probably only an intellectual pleasure, but there can be no doubt that in the case of certain geometrical problems, notably dissection or superposition puzzles, the aesthetic faculty in man contributes to the delight. For example, there are probably few readers who will examine the various cuttings of the Greek cross in the following pages without being in some degree stirred by a sense of beauty. Law and order in nature are always pleasing to contemplate, but when they come under the very eye they seem to make a specially strong appeal. Even the person with no geometrical knowledge whatever is induced after the inspection of such things to exclaim, How very pretty! In fact, I have known more than one person led on to a study of geometry by the fascination of cutting out puzzles. I have, therefore, thought it well to keep these dissection puzzles distinct from the geometrical problems on more general lines. Dissection puzzles. Take him and cut him out in little stars. Romeo and Juliet. The I. 2. Puzzles have infinite variety, but perhaps there is no class more ancient than dissection, cutting out, or superposition puzzles. They were certainly known to the Chinese several thousand years before the Christian era, 
and they are just as fascinating today as they can have been at any purge.